Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. And I am Scott. And this is episode number 47. We are about to embark on a new book. A new, this is exciting. So we've heard some people say, hey, what about Baxter? And we you know, we may come back to Baxter. Baxter was a lot of fun. But, but as David and I were thinking about how this podcast might be a blessing to our own church, we thought it might be helpful to pick up a book that, that is intensely practical for all believers, uh, or at least it seems to be, and, by the way, uh, pick up a book that we hadn't read before so that we could all read it together. And so the book that we're going to be working through is a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by the Puritan Thomas Brooks. And David, if I could, I found on the Monergism website just a very quick summary of the life of Thomas Brooks. And it gives us a little bit of a picture uh, into who this guy was. And then what I'd like to do is, if it's okay, I'll read this, and then I'm going to read their summary of the book that we're getting ready to read, and then maybe we can discuss a little bit about what we think about that, and then we can start reading. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, here's what it says. Thomas Brooks was born in 1608. That was a few years ago, by the way. He Mm -hmm. entered Emmanuel College, Cambridge, in 1625, where such New England Puritans as Thomas Hooker, John Cotton, and Thomas Shepard were also educated, but he appears to have left before graduating. Brooks was ordained as a preacher of the gospel in 1640 and became a chaplain to the parliamentary fleet, serving for some 10 years at sea. That ministry is mentioned in some of his sea devotions, as well as his statement, I have been some years at sea, and through grace I could say that I would not exchange my sea experiences for all of England's riches. Mm. After the Civil War of England, Brooks became Prime Minister at the Church of St. Thomas the Apostle, Queen Street, London. He was often called to preach before Parliament. In 1652, he became Rector of St. Margaret's New Fish Street Hill, which was the first church that burned to the ground in the Great Fire of London in 1666. Like Thomas Goodwin and John Owen, Brooks preferred the congregational view of church government. Let's go, Brooks. In 1662, he fell victim to the notorious Act of Uniformity. After being ejected from his living, Brooks continued to preach in London, where he apparently suffered little persecution. He became minister of a congregation at Moorfields near St. Margaret's. Unlike many ministers, he stayed in London during the Great Plague of 1665, faithfully tending his flock. In 1672, he was licensed to preach according to the terms of the Declaration of Indulgence, but that license was revoked in 1676. Brooks lost his first wife, Martha Burgess, a godly woman whom he greatly treasured, in 1676. He wrote of her, she was always best when she was most with God in a corner. She has many a whole day been pouring out her soul before God for the nation, for Zion, and for the great concerns of her own soul. He later married a young God-fearing woman named Patience Cartwright. Alexander Grosert puts it succinctly, the she spring young, he winter old, who proved a most worthy companion. Brooks died in 1680 and was buried in Bunhill Fields, London's famous nonconformist cemetery. John Reeve, who preached at the funeral, said Brooks had a sweet nature, great gravity, large charity, wonderful patience, and strong faith. Mm. So that is a very quick summary of a long life of a godly man. 
which is which is fascinating. So I, you know, I think the first thing that that I see that you see, at least I see, is this is not an easy life for this no, guy. No. You know, you've got a church that burns. Yes. You you pastor during a plague. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you 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 believe in something that is not popular to believe in. Yes. And by not popular, I mean illegal. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I mean, so in so many ways of this man's life, um, he he really did deal with an awful lot of of suffering. The act of uniformity. I um I just looked it up really quickly just to remind us this act of uniformity was passed by parliament and it required the reordination of pastors gave unconditional consent to the book of common prayer which if you were a congregationalist you probably weren't using that advocated the taking the oath of canonical obedience which would be to the Anglican church and renounced the solemn league and covenant so it basically made it illegal for Thomas Brooks to be who Thomas Brooks was, mm. and yet he continued on in that, and so it was. Uh, it was. It was interesting. He was ejected from his living, so in other words, he could no longer. He could no longer receive compensation. Yeah, as a as a recognized pastor, but he continued to be a pastor because the government does not determine who a pastor is, and it does not matter what time that happens. But mm. you know, lots of suffering, lots of difficulty, but a deep love of people. That's kind of what I get now. When I scroll down a little bit, I'm on. By the way, looking at the Monarchs website, these are excerpts taken from a really great book called Meet the Puritans by Dr. Joel Beakey. Mm. Uh, I want to give him credit for this. I'm not making all this stuff up. But here's what he says about the book we're getting ready to read, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. This book offers sorely needed lessons on the subtleties of Satan's devices. In the preface of the book, Brooks writes, The strange opposition that I met with from Satan in the study of the following discourse hath put an edge on my spirit. Knowing that Satan strives mightily to keep these things from seeing the light that tend eminently to shake and break his kingdom of darkness and to lift up the kingdom and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the souls and lives of the children of men. Brooks describes 12 of Satan's devices and their remedies and then focuses on eight devices Satan uses to keep believers from using the means of grace. He provides remedies from these devices that keep saints in a sad, doubting condition. Finally, he provides remedies for the abuse of riches, for pride of learning, for divisions among the godly, and for the excuse of ignorance. An appendix considers five more devices of Satan, seven characteristics of false teachers, six propositions concerning Satan, ten helps against his devices, and a partridge in a pear tree. I made that part up. <laughs> the ten helps provide an adequate summary of the book. Walk by the rule of God's word. Don't grieve the spirit. Strive for heavenly wisdom. Resist Satan's first motions, labor to be filled with the Spirit, remain humble, pursue watchfulness, retain communion with God, fight Satan by drawing strength from the Lord Jesus, and be much in prayer. And that's his summary of the book. And so when you when you hear that, when you think about that that summary, then then it makes sense, right? Why we're picking this. There, this mm-hmm. There's certain there's certain concepts. <clears throat> that are totally timeless and not dependent upon the uniqueness of the age. Mm-hmm. And uh, and some of those is the fact that the enemy is still the enemy and the enemy is still at work yes. to create divisiveness and doubt, discouragement, disillusionment among the saints so that the gospel is is rendered ineffective, if you will, in a community. And so to, to pick up a book like this that is, quick math, 450 years old or so, mm. 
and to hear how practical these things still are is is always should always be an encouragement for us because you know we're, we're we we stand in line of a long line of saints who have walked through this stuff before we have and have a lot of wisdom to offer and that is the heart of this whole podcast is to go back in time if you will to these guys who wrote 400 years ago or 200 years ago, or in the case of Spurgeon, you know, 150 years ago, and to see how incredibly practical all of these old dead guys are for us today. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I I think I love the the focus on the subtlety of it all. Mm -hmm. He, he, He wrote this book to combat the subtlety of Satan's devices, man, to to really, really draw it out and and really put it, pull it into the light, and say this is what he does. Yeah, 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 and and then because, and I'm sure we'll get to this. I don't know, but I'm, I feel confident. His Satan's when I say best work, you know what I mean. Most effective work is done in subtlety, mm-hmm. right? It's the, you know, it's the missing one Sunday. That leads to a second Sunday, mm-hmm. that leads to a third Sunday, that creates a habit of non-attendance, yeah. right? It's not, yeah. he knows better than to come in on the front door of most of us as believers on these things. And so he sneaks in through the back door, you yeah. know, that little that little acorn of resentment mm-hmm. that we allow to live in our hearts against others that blooms and blossoms into this poison tree. Yeah. You know, that's, that is his strategy. So, so I love it. I think... I think it's, I'm actually really excited about this. I've been really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So we've got the Puritan paperbacks version from Banner of Truth of this book. And uh, and we will put a link uh, in the show notes this time to show you where you can go to get this. I'm sure that there is a Kindle version, but I'm, I'm actually encouraged, David. We both have a paper version of this book, mm. which means it's going to be easier for us to communicate page numbers with each other because Indeed. I had no idea what page number we were on Indeed. when we were in Baxter. And we, we just, were reading two different editions yes, of Spurgeon. Two different editions of Spurgeon. So we actually have the same book. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. Yeah. We just got to get out of the Roman numerals and we'll be good. Well, you know, that is part of the goal of the, of the, of the first episode is to yeah. just get out of the Roman yeah. numerals. We're, our goal, we'll see if we make it to page one. Yeah, uh, but it starts with a word to the reader, and uh, and so David, do you want to read that part? Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's, do it. let's see what they say. So, Thomas Brooks writes, "Dear friend," with an exclamation point. Solomon bids us buy the truth, but doth not tell us what it must cost, because we must get it through it. Be never so dear, though it be never so dear, we must love it both shining and scorching. Every parcel of truth is precious as the fillings of gold. We must either live with it or die for it. As Ruth said to Naomi, Whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge, and nothing but death shall part thee and me. So must gracious spirits say, Where truth goes, I will go, and where truth lodges, I will lodge, and nothing but death shall part me and truth. A man may lawfully sell his house, land, and jewels, but truth is a jewel that exceeds all price and must not be sold. 
It is our heritage. Mm. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever. It is a legacy that our forefathers have bought with their bloods, which should make us willing to lay down anything and to lay out anything that we may, with the wise merchant in the gospel, purchase this precious pearl, which is more worth than heaven and earth, which will make a man live happily, die comfortably, and reign eternally. And now, if thou pleasest, read the work and receive this counsel from me. So we want to we want to stop for a little bit there and, and kind of chew through that. Yeah. So it's the the I mean the exceeding value of truth, right? Yeah. That that he's there's a there are there's a presupposition that accompanies any book that we read, right? You come into a book, a good introduction for what it's worth. A good introduction to any book that you read is intended to basically lay out. Here are the things that I'm assuming that we agree on before you read the rest of this book, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of. Uh, an introduction as you're reading kind of does two things. It first starts with that. Here are the presuppositions. Here are the things that we have to agree on in order for you to really, or that we're going to disagree on in order for you to enjoy and interact with this book. But this is what the author's coming in believing, right? And then second, here's how the book's laid out. And so, so that's a, it's kind of a rule of introductions and prefaces. And so his first basic one is that truth is worth it. Is worth it. Yeah. yeah, that it is exceedingly value. It's of exceeding value and that that it's going to be worth reading a 300-page book to get. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I love that we started with, I appreciate you bringing the biography of his life, Scott, because I can, thinking back over what we said about his life, I can see him living this out. Mm. You know, I can see him you know, saying, if if I lose my job because I believe that congregationalism is biblical, yep. then I lose my job. Yeah, and so then I, I will I will cling to this truth even if it costs me my employment. I will cling to this truth even if it means I'm doing something illegal. I will cling to this truth even if I get burned at the stake, yeah. which was yeah. I even take a different part of his life. I will cling to this truth even if it means that I get the plague because God has called me to care for those who are sick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you see him. You see these stands that he took in his life, you know, as you think about those biographies. I think that's why it's important to know more about the writer. If I could have gone back and done anything different with Baxter, I think I'd have started with the life of Richard Baxter because that's a fascinating dude, mm. you know. Uh, and so so having that in mind, always thinking about the guy who wrote the book mm-hmm. is really helpful when you think about what he's writing, you know, because he's writing from from the personal experience of having pursued and stood on truth for his life. Yeah. So that's why the Puritans are so cool. That's kind of what they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now Baxter implores us to receive this counsel from him. And he says, First, thou must know that every man cannot be excellent, that yet may be useful. An iron key may unlock the door of a golden treasure. Yea, iron can do some things that gold cannot. Hmm. Secondly, remember, it is not hasty reading, but serious meditating upon holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. That's a great sentence. 
It is not the bee's touching of the flower that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower that draws out the sweet. It is not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. Oh, man. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. We got to stop. Yeah, we got to Okay. So, so there's this thing that, that contemporary pastors generally do on social media. Oh, dear. All right, you probably know where <laughs> oh, I'm going. Oh, I know exactly where you're Usually going. you see it in January and December. Yep. The, and here's the, how it goes. What is it? The list of best books I read oh, this year. Oh, yes. Or even better, the picture, right? Because oh, you've got this. Oh, the stack. Yeah. you got you, this guy who like takes a picture of like a three-foot stack of books that yeah, he's read. Yeah. Oh, man. And I have always, always looked at those pictures and thought, man, I got some questions. Like, <laughs> you know, I, look, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty avid reader. I mean, I read a lot. But number one. I don't, I don't know that it's wise for me personally to read and then tell everybody else everything that I'm reading. Now, I get really excited about stuff that I read, and I'll talk to, to folks about what I'm reading, sure. But there's that, number one. Number two is, there's really two ways to read, right? We should read broadly, but we're a culture that reads broadly. Like That's not a problem with most anybody. The, the, the issue comes in reading deeply and really stopping to chew again purpose of this podcast like mm-hmm. there may be po- there may be episodes where we don't get past a page yeah. so be it so be it we'll, we'll we'll not get past a page we'll read one and we'll talk about it but this is man that that sentence it is not he that reads most but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest sweetest wisest and strongest christian yeah I know that's an encouragement to me as someone who as someone who has often desired to read more or read as much as I see some other people reading or read if 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 only I could read x number of books a year if only I could if only I could you know right put down as many books as so and so is putting down you know maybe then I would Maybe then I would be like, be more like them. Maybe I would be more wiser, more better, more, you know, fill in the blank. Right. But man. That's not what Brooks is saying. That's not what Brooks is getting at. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. says it's, it's not, it's not the, uh, it's not the word count that makes you better. No. It's actually having those truths meditated on and, and simmered on and, and focused on and, and, just dwelt on that makes you wiser, that makes you grow and mm-hmm. more mature. Mm-hmm. And man, that's an encouragement. That is an encouragement. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about uh, his iron key and a golden treasure illustration? What do you think he's getting at there? You know, it's an interesting one. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a warning in some ways that, not everybody's going to be able to get equal amounts of things out of what he's getting ready to write. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing to be a, a skillful orator or a, a really solid academician, if you will. It's another thing to know that those things are true and to be, to be able, number one, to write in such a way that everybody gains something. You know, it's the rule of preaching. You preach to everybody in the room. And so you try to be sure that as you write a sermon, everybody gets something that's accessible to them, right? And so 
I think it's just a, it's a warning. Like some folks may read this and they're iron keys and they go, what did he say? You know, and, and, and that's okay. You know, you're not going to get everything out of a first pass of any Puritan book. That, that's what I think. What do you think, David? Yeah, I, I when I was reading it, I wondered if he was talking about himself. He might be. Thou must know that every man cannot be excellent that yet may be useful. So maybe he's thinking of maybe himself he, as that way? I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, you know, I'm just an iron key, but yet. Yeah. I, that seems very puritanic. <laughs> I'm just an iron key yeah. that may or may not unlock yeah. the door to a golden treasure. Yeah. It reminds me of a, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Because mm. it was a country western reference, and there's another time for that. <laughs> there's another time. This is okay. not time. No, it's that time. All right, I'm gonna hold on to that one. Thirdly, thirdly, know that it is not the knowing, Uh-oh. nor the talking. Come on, nor the reading man. Oh, who is it? But the doing man mm. that at last will be found the happiest man. Man. If you know these things, blessed and happy are you if you do them. Do them. Not every one that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, that is in heaven. Judas called Christ Lord, Lord, and yet betrayed him and is gone to his place. Ah, how many Judases have we in these days? that kiss Christ and yet betray Christ, that in their words profess him, but in their works deny him, that bow their knee to him and yet in their hearts despise him, that call him Jesus and yet will not obey him for their Lord. Dang, Brooks. Reader, if it be not strong upon thy heart to practice what thou readest... To what end dost thou read? I almost spit out my coffee. To increase oh. thy own condemnation? Mm. If thy light and knowledge be not turned into practice, the more knowing that man thou art, the more miserable man thou wilt be in the day of recompense. Thy light and knowledge will more torment thee than all the devils in hell. Thy knowledge will be that rod that will eternally lash thee and that scorpion that will forever bite thee and that worm that will everlastingly gnaw thee. Therefore read and labor to know that thou mayest do or else thou art undone forever. When Demosthenes... Demosthenes was asked what was the first part of an orator, what the second, what the third, he answered, action. Mm. The same may I say. If any should ask me what the first, the second, the third part of a Christian, I must answer, action. action. As that man that reads that he may know and that labors to know that he may do will have two heavens, a heaven of joy, peace, and comfort on earth and a heaven of glory and happiness after death. Wow. Fourth, fourthly and lastly, if in thy reading thou wilt cast a serious eye upon the margent, thou wilt find many sweet and precious notes 
that will oftentimes give light to the things thou readest and pay thee for thy pains with much comfort and profit. So desiring that thou mayest find as much sweetness and advantage in reading this treatise as I have found by the overshadowings of heaven, in the studying and writing of it, I recommend thee to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build thee up and to give thee an inheritance among them which are sanctified. And rest, reader, thy soul's servant in every office of the gospel, Thomas Brooks. Man, that's just good. That's just good. Hey, if it be not upon thy heart to practice thou readest, to what end does thou read? Why are you re- why are you, why are you reading this, What are you man? reading for? If you're not going to do it. If you're not, <laughs> it's almost like Thomas Brooks is just saying, listen, if you're not going to do this. Don't waste my time. Just just put the book down now. Yes. You, yeah, but, and, and he, and he, but he has a very, re- a very good reason for doing so, right? Jesus would say, to whom much is given, much, much is required. required. Uh, and so to have all this knowledge, to see these things, you think about a book like this, to, to, to engage in and study the, the devices and practices of the enemy, to know strategic and biblical means by which we can resist him, and to fail to do those things is heaping condemnation on our heads. And so it's almost like a, okay, if you're not going to do this and put this into practice, just stop. Just put this book down and walk away. Yeah, just stop. I, you know, you just don't read modern books with that kind of warning. No, no, you don't. And you really don't. I mean, because he's taking seriously the responsibility that he had to disciple his readers. And I think that's an important concept. We think about books in general. Books disciple you. Mm. The books you read, and for what it's worth, the podcasts you listen to, yeah, are effective disciple makers. Yeah. And the culture knows that. That's why there's a bazillion podcasts, mm-hmm. and there will be no end to books. Yeah, right. And, and so, and also, so do the articles that you read. Yes. So do the TV shows that you Absolutely. watch. Absolutely. So do the music that you listen to. Like. It's not just it's not just books and podcasts, but, but all these things we put into our mind. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. And so he realizes this, and I think you can make a strong argument that his realization of this is why his book has now stood the test of time for four hundred years. Yeah. People still pick it up and read. Yeah. So yeah, and then and then he's like, oh yeah, and read the notes in the margins. Too. <laughs> yeah, and there are also notes in the margins. There are good. There's good stuff there too. Yeah. Not all of Brooks's points in this were equal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like if, if you can imagine he's a boxer, right? The first one is like a jab. Every man cannot be exceeding excellent, but you may be useful, right? You know, we can't all be gold. You might just be iron, but that's okay. That's okay. And bro. then it's like and it's like he hits you with that one so he can wind up the <laughs> second one. You know, which is like you gotta do it. You, you gotta know? do yeah, it. Like it's it's the you know and then, you, got, and then you, know, you gotta meditate on it. That's the second one. And then there's the third one, and now it's like an uppercut. It's Boom. like, oh by the way. Yeah. Don't just meditate on it. Don't just don't just learn about it. <laughs> and then it's like you're laying on the mat, <laughs> and he just kind of taps you, like pats you on the head, and goes, and re- and read the margins. And and by the way, there's by some the way, footnotes. Footnotes matter. <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be a fun book. Yeah, I like his writing style. Yeah. All right, how are we looking? Introduction. We were. Oh, uh, we'll do the introduction next time. Next time. Next, next time. time. 
All right, man. This is I'm excited about this, David. This yeah. is fun. If it, you know, if you are trying to introduce people to the podcast, this would be a great time to do that. Yes. And like we said, we'll we'll actually put we'll put the link in the show notes to the book that we have, so that mm-hmm. you can have some of these. And if you are a member of our church, we'll try to get some of these into the church library as well so that you could go ahead and have them and follow along with us. Thank you for listening today. We hope that it's been a blessing to you. It's been a joy for us, and we will talk again soon. Goodbye.